Hello, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening and also to explain why you might hear ads like this before, during, or even after an episode. We're a small but mighty team here at Realm, and to help fund our shows, we promote products or services that we think you'd enjoy from a variety of sponsors. If any of our ads interest you, one of the best ways to support us is by visiting the link or using the promo code in the ad. It's pretty much a win-win since you can get some great deals and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm slash partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away. Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Realm presents The Vela Salvation, Episode 2. Soraya knew the kid imprisoned in the small room. Not that she would tell her lieutenant. You didn't talk about your life before joining the indentured service of the military, and no one asked you about it. To the Gandesian military, her name was Bossy Avet Reviara. But she was one of the few who didn't take very well to the rules. She remembered the kid from Camp Gala before the EVAC, before the Gandesian military stormed the camp and conscripted every last person to military servitude. Once, Soraya had overseen the entire refugee camp, and now she was nothing more than a lowly major who was told what to do and where to go and what to think every moment of her life. And all of it made her life before, her free life, feel hazy and gray. As if it had all been a dream. But the kid, that kid, she remembered. They'd been with Asala Siku, searching for the villa. President Ekram's kid, well, one of them. They'd helped with the evacuation of as many refugees as they could send through the rift to a better life on the other side. She had assumed that the kid had gone through too with Asala Siku and the villa. So imagine her surprise when she walked into the cramped ship quarters to deliver dinner to their only prisoner and found that same kid. If Nico of Ekram remembered her, they didn't say as much. But it didn't matter. A small worm of an idea began to burrow into her head. Because her uniform was too tight, because everything she'd ever worked for had been dismantled, because now she was living a sort of half-life in servitude to the planet she once orbited above. And her collar was itchy. She knew it would only get worse. The kid was going to be tortured. The Soldivar Trust was an ancient relic, and it didn't mean anything in these uncertain times, especially if no one knew about Nico being prisoner here. 
which, as far as she could tell, no one did. The High General would get what she wanted no matter what, and if that kid had any sort of information, well, Sinrig would squeeze it out of them eventually. And Soraya hated the High General enough to want to disrupt the plans, because she wasn't Basi Avet Raviara. She was Soraya Klen from Samos, God's damn. She was the director of Camp Gala. She shielded the refugees in the Vela. She protected every single misplaced soul on that station. Or at least she tried. Until the evac. Until she watched the Vela go through, leaving her behind. Until she was captured and forced to sign her name away and told that Soraya Klen was dead. No, she wasn't. She'd just been asleep. Well, she wasn't anymore. It took a few days to get the timing right. She couldn't just bust the kid out whenever she wanted. She debated over notifying their brothers and sisters on Kayim, the last living heirs of President Akram, but she wasn't confident that her masking skills were enough to send a message to them. She was good at coding, but the Gandesian Empire had much better programs than AI patrolling the messageways to get any sort of note through. Nope, she was alone here. But that didn't matter to her anymore. Everything she had hoped for had gone through the wormhole, leaving her and this kid behind. Two abandoned rotten peas in the same fucking pod. She had to study the patterns of the soldiers on duty, and she had to wait for the right time. She hated that the time came after the High General had started her interrogation. The prisoner won't last a day like that, one of the soldiers on duty said, looking through the peephole at the poor kid laid out on the bed with the General's mechanical spiders covering them. I heard the General did that to Ericsson a few years ago. Drove him almost mad. Ericsson? He's our acting captain. I know, right? Makes you wonder about the sanity of the people leading us. The soldiers laughed, until they saw her coming down the hall, and then quickly straightened their bodies and saluted. Kima! Do you wonder about my sanity, Private Jerok? She asked in a clipped, no-nonsense tone. She had a tray of food with her. No, Kima! Good. Open up, she added, motioning to the door. They both looked at her with uncertainty. Can the prisoner eat right now? Like that? The one on the left asked. Of course they can't, she snapped, this time with a little more force. But how do you think it'd look if we suddenly stopped recording food given to the prisoner? At least that was true. As far as the trust was concerned, whatever wasn't in the ship's log didn't happen. The two soldiers opened the door. One keyed in the passcode, the other slid the door open and let her inside. The door closed with a swift snap behind her. The prisoner lay on the bed where she had last seen them, unmoving. Though the spiders that crawled across them were constantly undulating, shifting and clicking and scattering, and if she looked too long, she would get a headache. So she put the food on the desk and drew out a small electric taser from inside her uniform. She switched it on, and electricity sizzled over the end. 
While she wasn't great at coding, she knew the General's spiders had very small batteries that could hold a very small charge. Overload that, and they'd fall off like dead husks. She jabbed the electrified taser into the mass of spiders. They all crackled at the exact same time, ushering away from where she made contact with the riding mass. But when she drew the taser away, they swarmed back to cover the bare flesh and she cursed. Cranked up the intensity. Sorry about this, she told the kid, though she was sure they couldn't hear her, and jabbed her taser into the tangle of mechanical spiders again. This time, she made contact with Nico themselves, and their body gave a jolt, spasming. Their mouth popped open, and they gave a cry before Soraya covered their mouth and pressed the taser against them again. They jerked, and more spiders sloshed off, their red lens eyes blinking out, their metal bodies clattering to the ground. There were now entire patches where the spiders had fallen away, and Nico was underneath. She grabbed them roughly by the shoulder and helped them sit up. Brush them off, she hissed, already trying to scrape them off the rest of their face. Move! We don't have much time. It was only then that Nico moved, but only just enough to help her rip the rest of the spiders off them. The spiders fell to the ground in large chunks and scattered across the floor. Most of them lay dormant, but a few of them skittered under the door. That must have been what tipped off the soldier standing guard. The door opened. The two soldiers peered in and saw Saraya helping Nico sit up. What the? She lunged forward and jabbed her taser into the first soldier's neck and then slammed it into the next one. Both of them slumped to the ground and she quickly pulled the bodies inside. Quickly, undress one and put the uniform on, she ordered. They stared at the prone bodies. Come on, they're not dead, I don't think, she added hesitantly and then shook her head. We've only got a few minutes before another rotation of guards comes, and I'm sure Sinrig has gotten a notification about her spiders. Nico didn't say a word. They didn't move. She looked back at them, sitting motionless on the edge of the bed. She put a hand on their shoulder. Nico. Startled, they looked up at her. There were heavy circles under their bloodshot eyes. Is this a trick? They asked softly. Her shoulders slumped. Nico had been in that state for a few days. It would be hard to shake off. No, I'm here. Remember me? They nodded. Soraya, but why? Why help me? Because I was left to, she replied, and their eyes widened. And those left behind have to stick together. That seemed to bring Nico back just a little, just enough to nod and help her disrobe one of the soldiers. They put on the uniform, buttoning up with shaky fingers, and pulled the cap low on their brow. Soraya took a deep breath, grabbed their hand, and squeezed tightly. Now you've got to follow my lead, okay? Nico nodded. She prayed they were still with her enough to think on their feet because escaping from the thorn wouldn't be as easy as it was in all her planning. They slipped out of the room, and she locked the door behind her before leading Nico down the corridor. 
The plan was to get to the space hull and take one of the escape pods down to the surface of Gandalf. Gods, she hoped it was a solid enough plan. By the timing on her watch, the next rotation wasn't supposed to... Over the intercom, General Simrig's voice boomed. We have a traitor. Catch them and the escaped prisoner. Lethal contact allowed. Well, that wasn't good. And Nico was little more than a rag doll she pulled around, so they wouldn't be much help if it came to a fight. Not that she was much help in a fight, either. She was quite happy with herself for subduing two soldiers in the other room. Though it was a fluke. Had to be. They made it to the escape pods before anyone caught up with them, and by then, the entire ship was searching. What she hadn't planned on, however, were the spiders. They came much more quickly than any soldier, scurrying down the hallway like a tidal wave. Her skin crawled. She opened one of the pod doors. Go! She cried, shoving Nico inside. You'll be safe at Uzochi's old lab. Lay low. Be smart. You can find the fella. I believe in you. Then she shut the door to the escape pod and slammed her hand down on the button. Nico watched her with glassy eyes that slowly came to life. They shouted something and slammed their fists against the windshield, but it was much too late. Soraya had made up her mind. She was done being a dog for this dirty empire. She had been left behind by everyone she ever trusted. At least she could give someone else who had also been left behind a fighting chance. And with that, she took her taser and jammed it into the pod console. The screens blitzed, crackling, before the electricity overtook the wires and sent the entire program crashing. There. Now no one could track Nico. Soraya turned to leave, but she was too late to go anywhere. The moment she spent destroying the console had damned her. The spiders crawled up her legs, pinning her down. She tried to kick them off, swiped them away, but more and more came until they locked her in place, leaving only her head uncovered. The clip of the general's boots echoed down the hall, followed by a formation of her soldiers. She stopped in front of Soraya and narrowed her eyes, as if she knew it would be her. Track the escape pod, she snapped to one of her subordinates. But, High General, the coordinates. Then track it with your eyes, she roared. And the soldier nodded and rushed off to the control room to do just that. Soraya had to smile at that, even if they tried to track it. The Seven Days Mountains obscured almost all radio signals. It was the perfect place to hide. The mountains were hundreds of kilometers across. It would take a while to find Nico. Hopefully by then, they would be long, long gone. Kill me, but you'll never find them, Soraya said. Oh, I don't kill traitors. I punish them, replied the High General of Gonda. The last Soraya saw, with the General turning her back, before the spiders swarmed up over her head and blocked out all the light.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Nico vomited just outside the escape pod. Their head was spinning. The air tasted crisp and clean. And eventually, they drew their eyes up to look around the area. Beyond the crater made by the escape pod, there were trees, tall agalothor pines, the color of purple dusks, losing their needles as winter came in with the wind. The skies were overcast, and the mountains surrounding them too tall to see through the clouds. For a moment, they didn't know where they were. They thought they died. Maybe they had, and... This was their punishment in whatever afterlife awaited them, being abandoned in a wood. Gods, Nico hated nature. They crawled away from the impact zone. The pod had left a crater and about 500 feet of downed trees, but nothing large enough to see from satellites, especially not in mountains as thick and rocky as this. Okay, Nico, think. This was gone, duh. The mountains were tall, the Agalothor pines. Nico had seen those kinds of trees before, with Asala. This was the Seven Days Mountains. Oh, no. Nico sat down with a groan. They were in the middle of nowhere, and with the pod all but destroyed, they didn't even know where in the mountains they were, so it would be near impossible to find Uzochi's old lab. Nico hoped Soraya was okay, but Nico didn't think she was. The realization felt numb. They gritted their teeth and put their head between their knees. Breathe, they thought. Breathe. Even though they were out of the cocoon, they still felt the spiders on their skin, writhing, crawling, skittering over their arms and legs. The sound still filled their ears, buzzing. Chattering. Some might still be in there. Might have burrowed into their ears. Might have laid eggs and made a home. Stop, they told themselves. Stop! The best thing to do was find Uzochi's lab again, somehow. Go there like Soraya had wanted. Maybe there was something there after all. Or at least shelter and time. Nico sorely needed time to sit and think and collect themselves again. They felt like a thousand-piece puzzle scattered across a table. But their chest was tight. They couldn't move. They didn't know which direction to go or where to start looking or breathe. Find somewhere to go.
anywhere to go. Don't let General Sinrig catch you again. Don't be encased with spiders. Don't let them nest in your ears. They couldn't move. They couldn't walk. They could barely breathe. All they could do was squat down and press their head against their knees, their hands against their ears, to try to block out the sound. It would go away. It had to. It would. Nico didn't know how long they squatted there, but it was long enough for their legs to go numb, long enough for their chest to unwind, for their muscles to relax. They took a deep, staggered breath. Poor you. Nico glanced up and found a man standing a few feet away. The man had come so close and Nico hadn't realized, and the sky had turned a dark red with dusk. How long had they been spiraling? Nico couldn't remember. Time felt weird. It had felt weird since the spiders. The man cocked his head. His hair was dark and shoulder length, half of it pulled into a knot behind his head. His skin a warm, sandy beige, and in any other scenario, Nico might have thought he was handsome. But right now, Nico thought he might kill them. The man wore a warm-looking Haxon coat, his hands balled into fists at his sides. He narrowed his dark eyes at them. Nico jumped to their feet, startled anyone else would be here, and promptly crashed to the ground again as blood rushed back into their legs. They scrambled to sit up. I... I was just going. I'm not staying here. I... The man's dark eyes flickered from Nico to the escape pod behind them to Nico again. Just dropped in to say hello? Nico's mouth went dry. What? The man lunged for them, grabbing them by the collar and pinned them back against the side of the pod, forearm pressing against their windpipe. Gandesian scum! He snarled. How did you get here? What do you want? Nico gasped for breath. I didn't. I, I, I'm not. But they were wearing a Gandesian military uniform. Of course they were. Nico cursed, trying to pry the man's arm away from their throat, but with little luck. Haven't you taken enough? Haven't you taken everything? He demanded. I told your general before. Uzochi took the only star drive we had and left us. Nico forced out. This man must have been part of Uzochi's crew, but she had left him the same as Asala left Nico. That meant the lab was close. That meant he'd come to check out the landing, thinking Nico was a Gandesian soldier. They swallowed the lump in their throat and added, Yeah, they left me too. The man's eyebrows jerked up. What? These aren't my clothes. I'm not Gandesian, they said. I'm here. I'm looking for answers. The High General wants me. She captured me. But a friend helped me escape. She said to find the lab. There's something there. The man's grip around Nico's neck tightened. So there was a lab. Soraya had been right. A strange, dark look flickered through the man's eyes. Nico knew that sort of look. There is, isn't there? Something at the lab. Something that can save us. The man let go and took a step back. He couldn't have been much older than Nico. Why would the esteemed High General want you? Because I know something. 
You can't, he replied a little too quickly. All of Uzochi's blueprints were destroyed. How do you know? Because I destroyed them, he snapped, his shoulders hardening. He looked away. Before, you know, just before. Before you were left behind. Nico finished for him, and the man gave the slightest nod. I do know something. I know where they are. I know where the Vela went. The man's eyes widened. He stepped back. You can't. I do. Nico said it with such confidence, they knew the man believed them. He'd run out of hope, what little hope there was left. And if Nico had anything to make him feel less like he was just on a long, long death ride, then Nico was sure he would take it. Whatever form it came in. Well, he said, taking a deep breath. If you're not here to kill me, then come on. He turned away and climbed out of the pit. Nico followed, hesitant at first, but they really didn't have much of a choice. It was either follow the admittedly cute guy to what could either be a roof over their head or excruciating death or stay here and die anyway. Nico would rather follow. The hike across the ridge only took an hour or so, and they began to wonder how long they'd been knocked out in the pod, long enough for this man to climb the ridge and find them, at least. Every stretch of wood was similar to the last, every stretch of mountain the same. But finally, through the trees, Nico saw the square-shaped lab that they had visited with us all. It felt like an eon ago now. It was abandoned, and nature was already striving to reclaim the building. Crawling ivies inched up the sides, and trees sprouted along the foundation lines. They came up to the front door, locked and chained. Don't expect much, the man said as he unlocked the deadbolt and the chains fell away. He pulled open the rusty door with a jerk, and Nico followed him inside. The lab itself was mostly bare bones, a few module computers and a 3D printer, but everything else had been stripped out and taken elsewhere. There was more furniture in the building than lab equipment, and Nico got a sinking feeling that they wouldn't find any answers here either. The man used to work for Uzochi Ryota as one of her lab assistants. He had helped her create the star drive, and then after it was made, he helped her wipe any trace of it out of existence. He thought Uzochi would take him with her through the wormhole. But when the star drive activated, Uzochi couldn't have cared less. He had been out destroying the first prototype of the star drive. He had been on Ganda when he heard of the evac. When he saw the vids in the news feed, when he realized she had left him behind. He showed Nico to a ratty couch and offered them a cup of tea. Nico was glad to take anything warm, since the wind outside was more cutting than they'd realized. The tea wasn't great, but it was warm, and it was the first drink they'd had in... they didn't know how long. It couldn't have been more than a few days, but the darkness had felt unending. So, you know the coordinates? The man asked, offering up sugar and honey. Nico took a cube of sugar, dropped it into their tea, and licked their fingers. Yeah. Exact coordinates. It's impossible 
the numbers must be long. But Nico began to recite the numbers they knew by heart, the numbers that kept them sane, the numbers that stayed with them when everyone else left. The man listened to them with growing awe and finally dropped two sugar cubes into his tea and stirred thoughtfully. How? How did you memorize that? Even I couldn't, and I think I'm rather genius. Because I have to find someone. No, I'm going to find someone, somehow. But if what you said is true and the blueprints are lost, there's no way to open a wormhole. We're stuck, even if we know where they are. As they said it, a cloud of dread began to settle over them. They'd come so far, and now it was a dead end. The man shifted uncomfortably. There was another experiment. A failed one, mind you. What kind of experiment? The scientist chewed the side of his mouth, as if debating whether or not to say anything more. He took a sip of his tea before he said, Before Uzochi studied rift technology, she had thought to save us a different way. If we didn't eat bodies, food, water, shelter, then the sun's death wouldn't kill us. Artificial intelligence? Nika was confused. That's already been tried. Del Malkosh discovered that there was no sure way to replicate a human consciousness without intercepting the proper neural pathways, and Uzochi didn't want to replicate a consciousness. She wanted to take it, transfer it, implant it elsewhere, to take the electrical currents in the human brain and transfer that energy into something else. It'd be no different than transferring data through a wireless router or so she said. You're talking a neural blackout. Nico shook their head and set their tea down on the side table. It was still too bitter for them anyway. Even if you did transfer the consciousness, the body would be brain dead. Exactly. Which is why I was brought on to figure out how to circumvent that. But then she discovered the key to rift technology through exotic matter instead, and... He shrugged and took another sip. Well, I was out of a job. Snacks, he added. I've got some biscuits, I think, and maybe a little jam. Nico's stomach growled at the very mention of food, giving them away. A hot blush rushed across their cheeks. The man tossed his head back with a laugh and went to fetch the biscuits and jam. Nico turned on the couch to watch him. So, why are we talking about this, this neural transfer? Because, what if I found a way? Hypothetically, he added quickly, opening a crate and taking out a packet of preserved biscuits and a dusty jar of jam. Nothing new, Nico lamented, nothing fresh, Oh, how Nico missed fresh fruit. The man returned with the food and broke open the pack. I haven't really tested it on anyone besides myself, and as you can see, I'm fine. Mostly. Mostly? Nico asked, arching an eyebrow. I had a bit of vertigo, the man dismissed, 
dipping a hard and dry biscuit into a jar of jelly-looking red jam. He ate it, and when he didn't keel over, Nico broke off half a biscuit and nibbled at the end. The cookie was as hard as a rock and tasted like paper. The man ate his in one huge bite, then got another. The rigging is simple, actually. Take, for instance, General Sinrig's remote-controlled spiders. Nico grimaced. Let's not. Okay, let's say a remote-controlled car, the man amended, a little humor in his voice. A radio wave sends signals from the remote to the car, right? It's the same kind of deal. You're here, but you project yourself into something else. A computer, or a synthetic body, or a ship. The sky's the limit. And if I can do it here, if I have enough power and the right coordinates, then I can... You can send data to a computer elsewhere, too, Nico inferred. They licked the jam off the biscuit, and that didn't taste any better. You just have to know where to send the information. He stretched his hands out, grinning wide. I just have to know where to send it. He echoed and triumphantly ate another biscuit. It crunched hard between his molars. Then he put one hand forward in a handshake. I'm Lee, by the way. Lee Avet Ilatar. Avet, the same surname Asala's sister had when she took her new name... It meant orphan or bastard. Nico took Lee's hand. Nico of Ekram. The left side of Lee's mouth twitched. Well, I thought you looked familiar. I think the whole system knows who you are by now. Is that going to be a problem? Gods, no. I'm just thrilled to know a celebrity. While Lee had, as he said, destroyed the blueprints to Uzochi's work, he had kept his own work very close to his chest, quite literally. From a pocket inside his coat, he took a folded object that unfolded into a sort of crown and said that it was a neurotransmitter designed and tested by him. The trick was to boost the signal far enough that it would reach across the universe to a solar system 523 light years away. So while Lee got to printing a transmitter that would hopefully send data that far, Nico booted up the computers left in the lab and punched in the coordinates. It felt like a prophecy they were completing. From derelict ship to Gandesian army to a lab in the middle of nowhere, Nico had traveled so very far to do this simple thing. Punch in a few numbers and wait as the computer whirled and hummed, amassing time and space, and pinpointed a location in the stars the size of a needle's head. So small, so easy to miss. But it was there. And Nico knew down in their gut, beside the ravenous monster that lurked there, that it was where Asala was too. I'm coming. Guilty or no, they refused to be left behind. I found it, they said, their voice shaking, and angled the satellite atop the lab toward that tiny pinprick in the sky, sending out a probe 
to see if there was any return ping, any sort of answer from the Vela, or any other ships that went through the rift. A minute passed, then another. Nico's stomach twisted. They waited ten more minutes, but no answer came back. They checked the coordinates, repeated the numbers, over and over. Lee, having finished printing the transmitter, hooked it up to the computer. Hey, maybe you were off a few degrees, he said hopefully. But Nico knew they weren't. The numbers were correct. It was the right coordinates. There was just... there was no answer. They'd made no mistake. It was the coordinates. It had to be, or... Or Nico had memorized the wrong numbers all along. They gritted their teeth, tears burning in the corner of their eyes. Lee put a hand on their shoulder and said something comforting, but Nico didn't hear it. It was a dead end after all. And what was worse, they knew where Asala went now. They knew the exact point in the sky, and yet they couldn't reach it. It was too far to reach, too far to go. There's a certain kind of sadness to looking up at a star, knowing what's out there and never reaching it, as they froze as the sun died, as darkness swept their solar system. They would see that pinprick in the stars and wonder, was I really the guilty one? Nico turned away from the computer screen, finally, at Lee's insistence. Hey, let's take a break and get some food. Real food this time. I have some canned fruit in the back, and I've been saving it for a special occasion. And that was when they heard it. The ping of contact. The return of an automated mode of data. Lee and Nico exchanged a look, and then they threw their hands in the air with a triumphant cry. It had worked. It worked. The Vela was there in that small star, and they had made contact. Nico had been right. The numbers that kept them sane had been true. There was hope. Nico hadn't felt hope in, oh, gods, it felt like generations. Lee crowed and grabbed Nico by the arm and swung them around in a little jig. We found them! It worked! He cried. I can kiss you! Then Lee froze. His eyes widened. I mean, uh, not really, you know. I mean, that's not... Nico laughed. <laughs> if I come back, you can try. They replied good-heartedly. Lee hesitated. That might not happen, you know. You might get lost up there. Lost? There's... He hesitated. There was a crinkle between his brows that Nico fixated on, and they didn't know why. I was lying about the vertigo. It wasn't that. Nico felt a cold chill run down their spine. So you lied. No, not about it working. Just uh, the semantics of it, he replied. I mean, I, I didn't actually think it would... Didn't think I could find the Vela, Nico filled in. Well, they were used to surprising people by now. Everyone always underestimated Nico of Ekram. Most of the time it played in their favor, but sometimes, like now, it was just annoying. 
What complications? Well, it's simply a matter of... How long you can stay there? Stay? Yes, there's a time limit. There has to be, or your brain starts to... Let's just say it starts to get a little messy. Messy? Yes, messy. Could you stop repeating me? Oh, sure. Go on, Nico replied, folding their arms over their chest, waiting for the big revelation that Lee had hidden, resisting the urge to press their thumb against the middle of Lee's eyebrows and smooth out the wrinkles there. The scientist looked away. You can only stay for a set amount of time, or else your hard wire will overheat. Or whatever ship or computer you upload into, we still don't have the tools capable of permanently transferring a living consciousness. We can, for just a short amount of time, and factoring in the distance and how long it takes you to acclimate to your new body, uh, there are a lot of variables... And you won't know when to pull me back, Nico supplied, before I overload. Right. So then, write into my code that we sent to the Vela that, upon termination of my senses, I'm transmitted back to this exact location. Wouldn't that solve the matter? And if you die over there, before that happens? Nico shrugged. They had thought about death a lot in the last three months, and they'd come to terms with it. It was nothing more than a light going out. Death was just darkness. There was a bitter sort of comfort in that. I'll try not to die, they said finally. Lee let out a breath. Right. Okay. Okay, then. I'll program the code to insert into my data, they said and turned back to the computer. On the screen was the hailing code for the Vela. Nico wasn't going to hail the ship, no. They weren't going to ask. They returned a prompt across the stars with a worm of data to hijack a 3D printer. They weren't going to play nice anymore. There was no more niceness when the sun was going out. Thirty minutes later, the worm came back, ready. The printer had printed a file, a body, a person. Now all it needed was Nico. Nico turned their gaze to Lee. You ready? They asked. Or you? Yes. Lee nodded and rubbed his hands together. Okay, then. I can't kidney punch you, Zochi, but this feels like the next best thing teach her for kicking me off her team. I'm brilliant. We'll see about that once it works, Nico corrected, as Lee hooked up his neurotransmitter to the computer and walked Nico over to the couch to lie down before he fitted the crown over their temple and then returned to the computer. It was made of high-carbon fiber, so it was light, with only thin strips of metal and wires wrapping around the edges. He keyed up the command but hesitated, are, are you sure about this? I have to, Nico replied, and then added, because Lee would be the one to look after their body while they were gone, it's personal for me, too. That seemed like a good enough answer, at least, because he finished the command with a swipe of the keyboard. 
Okay, it'll feel disorienting for a moment. You'll feel dizzy, and then you will hurt. Uh, like every neuron in your brain is being pulled out by fish hooks. Oh, thanks for the warning. Then Nico looked into Lee's eyes and said softer, quieter, I trust you. Because it sounded like as good a sentence to say as any, and those were words they hadn't said to anyone in three months. They hadn't trusted anyone in three months, and here they were trusting this man they barely knew with their life. Lee smiled then, and Nico felt their stomach flip. They felt heat rush across their cheeks. But before they could say anything, before they could think, oh, I'm blushing, Lee gave the slightest tap on the keyboard, and the world burst into kaleidoscopes. There was no warning, no countdown. One moment, Nico was looking at Lee, hopeful and anxious, and the next, there was pain, as though every one of their thoughts was being pulled out of their brain with fish hooks. And just when they thought it would never end, that this was all there would ever be again, the pain stopped, and there was only darkness. Long, yawning, infinite darkness come to swallow them whole. The darkness of the space between worlds, the nothing between stars. And it welcomed Nico softly. They knew that darkness would come for them eventually. Nico thought that perhaps they'd see their father here in the darkness that claimed them. But there was nothing. They could have been there in the darkness for seconds or minutes or hours. They didn't know. All they knew was that there was darkness, and then somewhere in a dusty and forgotten room on the Vela, kneeling inside a 3D printer, steam coming off their synthetic skin, Nico came back to life. You're listening to The Vela Salvation by Ashley Poston, starring Robin Miles. Produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Realm, listen away. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. The Vela Salvation is written by Ashley Poston, Maura Milan, Nicole Givens Kurtz, and Sangu Mandana. It is produced by Rhoda Bilyeza and executive produced by Molly Barton. Audio production, sound design, editing, and theme music by Amanda Rose Smith.